Well, it's good to be back with you this morning, and uh, if you will, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look really at verses 14 through 21 this morning. Last week, we talked about the new creation, or the new, co the, uh, new covenant. Today, we're going to talk about being a new creation and what that means for us as God's children and how we respond to that. There's a lot going on in our world, and, and I love how missional um, Hoffmantown Church is and has been, and how we have many people in our um, churches, in our association, in our state, who are out serving Christ by meeting the needs of others. And through the disaster relief uh, ministry, um, we're still, they're still sending people out there. They're looking for uh, feeding crews right now and, and laundry crews. And, and uh, this is a long-term thing. This is not a short-term opportunity. So if, and I know many of you have been tr through the training. So you know, if, the, if, the, if you're available and can go, uh, let us know because we are, are glad to send you and you will have a wonderful experience in meeting needs and seeing how God works in uh, reaching people for his kingdom through meeting those needs. And many times it's just being there and listening to the stories of tragedy and being that, that listening ear and praying with someone uh, that God works most powerfully through. So I do encourage you to, uh, to consider that. <laughs> um, so we're going to look at, at this morning um, what we are to, to be and what we are to do based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now in 2 Corinthians, Paul, of course, is writing to the church at Corinth. He generally is dealing with lots of issues uh, in the church. But then in chapter 5, he begins to talk about you know, where we're going to be. He's going to start talking about being in heaven, in the kingdom, um, not clothed with earthly clothing, but with, with spiritual clothing. And he makes uh, a lot of information here. Uh, in verse 9 of chapter 5, he says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So the whole idea that I want to share with you this morning is going to be our response to what Jesus has done for us. Now, there's no way we could ever repay him outside of really loving him as best we can the way that he loved us. And when we're talking about love here, it's not an emotional kind of love, though that is present. It's the kind of love that is an obedient love, a desire to do everything in our life that's going to bring honor and glory to him and point people to him. That's really what we're here for. If we don't have some response to what Jesus did, then he might have well have just taken us home when we were saved. But we have a reason for being here. We have a purpose. There's value in each one of you. Every person that's a child of, of God's through faith in Christ has a reason for being here. There's no retirement plan down here on earth as a Christian. You retire when you transition into the kingdom. And that retirement uh, community is just wonderful up there. 
but while you're here, <laughs> there's some things that, that we need to be doing and should be doing motivated by love for him. So let's look at our passage, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me begin in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now there's about at least three to four weeks of, of study in this little passage here. We're not going to do that. Um, so I'm going to try and, and bring this into a, a context that, that we can understand and that, that we can follow. And, and listen, any time you're listening to a teaching or a preaching, uh, hopefully you're able to walk out holding on to something uh, that you can take with you so that you can apply it to your life. And I'm going to give you five things here concerning our response to Christ for his sacrifice for us. The first one is this. His love compels us. His love compels us. Now, it says right here, it's, it's very obvious, for Christ's love compels us. We should not be compelled by other things in order to try and win favor with God. His love alone should compel us and should move us to want to serve him and to live for him. The word compels means a pressure that causes an action. It has the idea of an overwhelming pressure. In this case, Paul reveals that the overwhelming pressure is the result of Christ's unlimited, unmerited love. What he did for us, when we really look at it and we recognize how lost we were, and yet he loved us, he sees us. He knows our heart. He knows our motives. He knows the words we speak before we speak them. And yet he loved us anyway. And his great love took him to the cross where he shed his blood and gave his body and he willingly gave up his life for you and me. You know, you can look at other people and think, wow, I don't, I don't know what their life is like, but I'm not sure it's a good life. And, uh, and it's easy to look at other people, but look at your own heart and look down into the deep darkness of your heart as where you were before Christ. And even uh, we struggle with sin still. Paul says, I, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I should do. So that's still there. But we, we are compelled now by love for what Christ has done in us and will do through us. 
And that in and of itself should be enough to motivate us to serve him and to live for him. We are compelled by lots of things in our life. Some people are compelled by hate. We're seeing that uh, in our world, in our nation today. They're compelled by fear. They're compelled by greed, by pride. Uh, They're pressured to, to think that they have to have position and power. That's all worldly things. Those are all man, things of man. Those are earthly. They're not heavenly. They're not spiritual. What drives everything that we do should be the love of Christ in us and through us toward others in everything that we do. Ed Stetzer said, Paul's words tell us that as we receive the love of Christ in our lives, we will willingly let it change the way we think and act. It means the love of Christ will influence every decision we make and everything we do. His love becomes our way of life and not mere emotion. And we're caught up in the emotional side of love and God created us to have that type of love and those relationships. But when we look at what the Savior did for us on the cross... That is sufficient to drive us. It's not what we like or what we dislike or anything else. It's simply the fact that he paid a price for my sin that brought me into a relationship with the Father through faith. And so we we have to understand that because of what he did, his love for us compels us to serve him and to love him. The second thing is his sacrifice convinces us Notice what it says. It says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should what? No longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this is where we get into that, no, that inner tension. Uh, We have a tendency to want to live for ourselves, instead of living for him who died for us. That means that we have the eyes of Christ. We have the, the ears to hear and, and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. It means that when we see the world, we're, we're seeing it through his lens, the lens of the cross. Those who are saved, who are growing and maturing in Christ, we, we help uh, disciple and grow them. But those who are lost, we, we seek to reach out to them and serve them. And some of the best ways to do that is in the times of crisis because they, they seem to be much more open to that. But it's not always in times of crisis. There are times in a person's life when God brings the right person uh, who's a Christ follower into the environment that they are in, into their, their workforce, into their relationship somehow, and God uses that to reach out to that person if we're sensitive to that and if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. But he says, listen, we are absolutely convinced that he died for all and therefore all died. This is the vicarious atonement. The word means a substitute. He substituted himself on our behalf. He was the one that took our suffering and our punishment for us. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 says, Surely he took 
our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed. He did all of that for us. And Paul is saying we are convinced of that. In Romans 4.25 it says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And that justification is simply the fact that when we give our life to Christ, when we, we confess our sin and we repent of it, and we, we believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave and, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, it means that we are stamped, we are justified, not because we deserved it, but because he has said that through Christ, through our faith, our sins are forgiven and they are cast away as far as the east is from the west. And we stand there in the righteousness of Christ before the Father. And we have a home in heaven that no one can ever take away from us. We have a promise of the Spirit in us to empower us and move us and, and motivate us to do the things that we need to do while we are here on earth. That sacrifice, that substitution, the justification that he has poured out upon those who have trusted in him. Jesus did what we could not. He took our place and bore our sin on the cross. Romans 5.8 says, but he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our rebelliousness, even in our rejection of him, Christ still died for us. It's a powerful, powerful thing. We think, well... Um, he went to the cross. He bore our sin. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. It's a propitiation. It was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And in 1 John 4, 10, it says, In this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation simply means the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. Jesus literally offered himself on the cross. The wrath of God is due to the legal requirements of punishing the sinner. Remember, the sinner is someone who has broken the law of God, which is justifiably requires punishment. The first step in any kind of uh, relationship with, with the Savior is to recognize our sinfulness. I visited with a couple way back in the 80s in Carrizozo, and I was sitting with them. They were elderly, and, and I was sharing with them the plan of salvation and talking with them about Jesus. And, and I came to Romans 3.23 for all of sin and come show the glory of God. And I said, now, we can agree that, that we're all sinners, can't we? And uh, the husband said, no, I've never sinned. And his wife jabbed him in the ribs with her elbow. She said, oh, yes, you have. <laughs> Sometimes we don't see or think it's there. But listen, there's not a one of us that have not sinned. 
in James, it says that, that if you've sinned in just one area, if you've sinned in one sin, you've broken all the laws. That in and of itself is enough to separate you from the Father. So we are understanding that Jesus made that gift, the propitiation for us. The result is that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So here's the obvious question. Am I living for myself or am I living for Jesus Christ? And we could make a whole checklist of things and say, well, if I'm doing this, 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 and this, and obviously I must be serving the Lord. And if I'm not doing this, 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 and this, then I must not be serving the Lord. Listen, checklists don't work. Um, you can look at some characteristics in your life and, and, and see where you're at spiritually, but don't make checklists because the thing that should compel you and the thing that should drive you is that everything you do is being done for Christ and the motivation of the Holy Spirit working through you is driving you to do things, not because you have to do them or because you want to check off something on your list, but because you can't help but do them because you love the Lord so much. That's the motivation. That's what should drive you. Yes, things get difficult and they get hard and, and, and you have to reschedule some things. But listen, if you're not motivated by love, then you're motivated by works. And works do not please God. The motivation has got to be that, Lord, I love you so much for what you have done for me. I'm literally willing to readjust my life so that every thought, word, and deed, every interaction I have is a reflection of Christ as best I can reflect him. That changes the whole dynamic. It's almost like you've heard people say, listen, if you find the job that you absolutely love to do, it, it's never work, right? If you love what you're doing, and you're happy there, and certainly you get paid and those kinds of things, but it's not work for you because you love it. Listen, if you're serving the Lord out of the love of the Lord, you're never going to really have any major challenges because you're driven by the right thing, and the characteristics of Christ are going to go through you and, and out toward others. You're going to serve him, and, and there's difficult times. There's no question about that. We get frustrated at times. We're still human, but we have to be motivated by God's love. We have to be motivated to live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. The third thing is his power changes us. His power changes us. So it says in verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, two things here from these, this verse. Uh, the first thing is, is that we do not regard anyone from a worldly point of view. That means we don't regard their background, their color, their politics, or any other means that we might use in the world to look at people and to separate ourselves from them or to, in some way, um, uh, turn away from them. We don't look at the world any longer 
like we used to. We look at them through the eyes of Christ. And that is how we're able to minister to them in spite of everything else that might be going on. We once looked at Jesus that way. Before I came to Christ, and, and I didn't come to uh, faith in Christ until I was 27. Uh, that was after eight years in the Navy. And I lived a pretty, uh, a very wild life. I was on an old diesel submarine first, and then a nuclear submarine. And I really didn't have any, any desire for church or anything to do with Jesus or anything. And if somebody, you know, said anything to me, you know, I'd just turn away or we'd kind of ridicule them. I saw no need for it at that time in my life. Had a, a, a chief on our boat that would try to get the crew together that was on watch and open up his Bible and share something with us. And, and if I could find him and beg forgiveness today, <laughs> I would because of how we ridiculed him and his Bible. But he tried. We, we don't look at people that way any longer. Look what it says here. He says, listen, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I didn't at one point care anything about Jesus Christ. I didn't worry about my eternal destiny. If somebody said, well, you're going to go to hell, I'd just say, well, I'll be down there with all my friends. But through Christ, everything has changed. My hope, my destiny, my life, my outlook, and how I am to engage others around me. And that's how it should be for every one of God's children. And it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We don't live in the old life any longer, though we struggle with the sins that we still deal with. But those are forgiven through Christ. Remember, we're justified. We stand righteous before God because of Jesus Christ. And we are going to struggle with these sins while we're down here on earth. But our goal would be to, to work away from them and ask God to give us strength to live stronger and better for him so we can represent him better in our life. And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. You see the theme here. He keeps telling us and reminding us that, that, that it is being reconciled to God through Christ. From the time of our salvation, we do not see people any other way. Jesus told Peter when he is walking with his disciples in Matthew 16, and he asked, who do people say that I am? And the disciples responded, and, and uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in one of those highlight moments of his um, ministry, uh, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. The Holy Spirit revealed it to you. And then he goes on to tell them that he has to go to Jerusalem and be turned over to men who are going to kill him. And immediately Peter grabs him by the arm and takes him to side and starts rebuking him. And Lord, this will never, never, never happen. And Jesus said, Peter, your eyes are on the things of men, not the things of God. What a blow from the high top of revelation of who Jesus is down to the low bottom where he's being referenced as Satan's advocate. What Jesus said to him happens to us. Many times our eyes are on the things of men, not the things of God. And that's where the conflict comes in. That's, that's where the, the division comes in. That's where Satan begins to break things apart. 
All that is gone. We are not to live in a worldly way. We're not supposed to see through worldly eyes. We have to see through the eyes of Jesus Christ because now we are new creations. Our position changed because now we are not no longer, we are no longer of the world. We are part of the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, it talks about how we were lost and without hope and in the world, uh, without hope in the world. But then it says, but he made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And the second thing he emphasizes there also is that it's gone. Put it away. God has forgiven everything, and now we have to let it go, and we have to move forward, but move forward with the eyes of Christ, looking at things in a spiritual way, representing him. It all happened because of what he has done for us. The fourth thing is this. His commission enlists us. His commission enlists us. It says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. To reconcile is to restore relationship that has been broken. So you are given a ministry through Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. And that word ministry is the same word that we get deacon from. It, it means a lowly servant, a table waiter. And the idea here is that every single one of you have this ministry. Everyone who is a child of Christ, everyone who is a born again believer has the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, to serve in order to reconcile people with the Father. But it also says that we have the message of reconciliation, and that means to take the testimony of Christ into the lost world so that they can be reconciled to the Father. You see that? You have a message and a ministry. So no believer can say, well, I just don't have anything to do. <laughs> Oh man, you've got so much to do, I don't even want to tell you because you'd back off from it. That's who we are. And he says we are, we are ambassadors. He has commissioned us. He has enlisted us to serve him by the, reason, the simple reason that we have trusted Christ as Savior. We're now part of his kingdom. We're part of this massive army around the world that is supposed to represent him, to reconcile people through ministry and through the message of Christ. That's what missions is all about. But missions begins right here. It's not out somewhere. It's in your neighborhood, it's in your workplace, it's in your school, it's in your family. God loves us. He loves his creation. He desires that no one would perish, but every single person would come to repentance. And how will the world know who Jesus is if they don't see him, which is through our ministry, and if they don't hear him, which is through the message? And let me say this. You cannot walk around and just believe that somehow people are going to know you're a believer and automatically come to Christ. You can do lots of ministry, and there are some great ministries or organizations that meet lots of needs in our world that are not Christian. 
that don't share the message of Christ. And people look at them and say, wow, they are great. And, and they are. We need those people. But the believer, the follower of Christ cannot do that. When we are ministering to others, if we don't have the message attached to it, we're missing the whole point of what we're doing. And it's good that you're doing something, but don't forget, the whole goal here is through the ministry and the message is to reconcile people to God. Why? Because he is making his appeal through us to them. So every one of you have a job. Every one of us are ambassadors. And an ambassador never speaks his own heart, mind, or idea. An ambassador only speaks that which has come down from above. For the president uh, to an ambassador, ambassador doesn't go out and do his own thing. He has to check with the president first, and he only speaks that. If it was a king and they were an ambassador, only the king's ideas and desires are going to be proclaimed uh, as he ministers. For us, we don't speak on our own. We speak for him. And we have to see what God wants us to do and how we need to live and how we need to share that message. And we have to proclaim him, not my own ideas, not my own desires, but everything comes from him in us and through us to others. We are his ambassadors. It's, it's almost like, you know, we, we want some kind of a badge or something and I'm an ambassador for Christ. Listen, if you're living for Christ and you're motivated by love and you're compelled by what Jesus has done for you, you don't need a badge. It's going to be reflected toward the people that are around you. They will see Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the whole idea here. An ambassador speaks totally for his king or his government, never makes private personal offers. He doesn't give personal promises. He doesn't make personal demands. He represents his king. It is not their own dignity that leads weight to the ambassadorship. It's the dignity of the one that they represent. And the dignity that we represent is in Jesus Christ. We represent him. John MacArthur, in a book he wrote, said this. He said, I preached a message many years ago uh, called The Deadly Dangers of Moralism, in which I said evangelical Christianity today is spending too much time, too much money, and too much effort trying to change the culture rather than preach the message of reconciliation. The sovereign has given us the message. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that being involved in all these other things that are, can be helpful or wrong, but, but our motive shouldn't be just to do those things. The motive, again, has to come back to reconciling lost man to a loving God. The fifth thing is this. His invitation draws us. His invitation draws us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. This is the invitation. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's one of the most powerful uh, verses um, that, that you can find. To implore is actually the, the Greek word parakaleo, and it's a word with lots of meaning. Ask, urge, encourage, counsel, admonish, exhort, 
Uh, it's, it's associated with the Holy Spirit, uh, the parakletos, and, and in noun form, it's the same word. So here are counseling, urging, asking, pleading, admonishing, exhorting to get people to be willing to reconcile to God. There's a passion. There's a driving force behind it. The driving force is that we are compelled by Christ's love for us. And we're trying to do everything we can to fulfill our purpose here on earth. Paul is literally begging men and women and children to be reconciled to the Father. It's the only answer. It's the only way. It's the only option that we really have. So as we're going to close here in just a couple minutes, um, let, me, let me share this. We have to recognize a couple of things. One, people are lost and without hope in the world. And without the message of Christ, they are going to be separated from God for eternity. If we could grasp that in its fullness and grasp how great the love of Christ is to die on a cross for our sin, that would compel us to try and Share the message of Christ with them so they wouldn't be separated from him for eternity. Listen, your worst enemy in life, you would not want to be separated from God or should not want to be separated from God for eternity. Nobody should desire that. Our desire is his desire, and that is that people come to a saving knowledge of Christ through faith in him. People need to understand that we're sinners but that God loves us so much that he paid a price for our sin out of his love for us. I heard a story a, lot, a number of years ago, and this is probably one of my favorite illustrations um, dealing with this, because sometimes we just think, man, we've ruined it, we've ruined our life, we, we have, man, I can't, God would never forgive me for this. And, uh, and, and it's about a guy that had taken a sports car that he had bought, an old uh, sports car, and he renovated it, he fixed it up. He put a nice, uh, all, all the right parts in it, you know, re restored it to its full capacity. And, uh, man, it was a beautiful little sports car, and he parked it in his garage. And uh, his wife knew she was never to drive it uh, unless he was with her. Go figure. And um, one day, she was working in the kitchen, and she needed, had this big dinner she was fixing, and she thought, Man, I need to get to the store, but he had taken the other car and left that one. And she thought, ah, I got to get this stuff from the store. I'm just going to go down the street. It's not very far. I'm going to get the groceries and come right back. And he probably won't even know I drove it. And, oh, well, we know what happened. And uh, it's not a secret. So she takes off and she's coming back. And sure enough, she gets into a car wreck. And uh, nobody was injured. Uh, she's sitting on the curb. Uh, the police are there, and one of the policemen comes over and says, I need your ID and your registration and insurance. She said, well, that stuff should be in the glove compartment. So the, the police officer goes over there and, and uh, gets it out, and he comes back, and he hands her an envelope, and it has her name on it. He said, this envelope was in with your registration and insurance. He said, and, and it has your name on it. And she, she didn't know what that was, so she said, okay. So she opens the envelope, and in there is a note from her husband. And this is what the, the note said. If you're reading this, it means you've crashed the car. <laughs> but I want you to know I love you more than I love my car. 
You know, we crash in life. People crash all the time. But God loves us more. That's why he went to the cross. That's why Jesus went there. That's why we have to be so diligent. We, we really have to embrace what we have learned here this morning and from this passage. Um, that we are compelled, he compels us. His sacrifice convinces us. His power changes us. His commission enlists us. His invitation draws us. And right now, the Holy Spirit's drawing those who are not believers in Christ this morning. You're not here by accident. You're not here just because you happen to stop by. You're here because God brought you here this morning. And he wants to draw you into his kingdom. And he wants you to come and agree that, yeah, you've crashed in life. You've done things wrong. You've sinned. Confession is simply agreeing with God what he already knows about you. Repenting is turning away from that and, and desiring to follow Jesus Christ with every part of your being. And believe that what he did on the cross, just as it says in this passage, was sufficient to pay the price. He made the gift offering. He shed his blood on the cross for you. He paid the price that you could never pay. And if you believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave, the Bible says you will be saved. And you will become a brand new creation in Christ. And you will have a hope and a home in heaven. And you will be able to serve a living God, motivated by love, to help others be reconciled to him as well. Let's bow our heads. Father, you are a good God. You're a marvelous God. We couldn't make up a concept or a story like what you showed us and you showed it from the very beginning of creation how great you loved us you've demonstrated how your forgiveness is is total and complete how you give us the holy spirit that that motivates us and drives us and leads us and guides us and directs us and even when we don't know how to pray the holy spirit prays on our behalf You've given us everything. And as we look at all that you have given us and we look at what we are doing in response to that, Lord, we might be convicted. Help us to grasp the great work that you did, how lost we were and how you brought us into your kingdom and, and how much you do for us every day of our life so that we can represent you well, we can speak your words, we can serve in your power, with your love, with your heart, where we can tear down all the barriers that might be between us and between anyone else in this world so that the message of reconciliation can be proclaimed through the ministry of serving others that every person will have opportunity to know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I thank you because your word is so clear and and so simple for us to understand and yet so difficult sometimes for us to carry out. I pray we will commit ourselves to your word, to your ways, not our ways, to your ministry and your message, not ours. 
and I thank you for that. Take just a moment. I'd like to have you just take one brief moment here, a couple, maybe a minute or two, and just pray and ask God how you need to respond to his message this morning. Lord, what do I need to do in response to what you have told me? If, if you're not a believer, if, if, if you've never trusted Christ, the answer is to, to receive him. And I'll be down here at the front, and there'll be others maybe here at the front after we depart. If you'd like to come, we'll be glad to talk with you and share with you more. For the Christ follower, Lord, am I really compelled by your love, or am I compelled by something else? Confess, ask God to forgive, and to restore and renew you, to serve him as he desires you to serve him out of love. Take just a moment. Thank you, Father, for hearing us and speaking to us and help us to go from here and live our lives for Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And I pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning, and we'll be dismissed.